1: Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at slash wonder.
2: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number
0: two.
1: Once I made that mindset shift that the business does not have to be your passion, it should fuel your passion, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that's what this is about. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. I am your co host, Jay Scott here today with my lovely co-host and amazing negotiator, Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol Scott?
0: I am doing super great, although I got to tell you, this latest negotiation over the domain name is wearing me right out. You know, I'm a good negotiator. like I'm a really good negotiator, but this whole situation, I don't even know where to go with it.
2: Yeah. So I think what Carol is talking about here is that we have spent the last week negotiating, trying to purchase a domain name that would be valuable to our business. But uh, we're trying to decide if we want to spend the money or not. And uh, we've been negotiating with the seller of that domain name for about a week now, and we've sort of come to an impasse. And now we have to figure out what next steps are.
0: It's killing me. Which leads us
2: into today's show. We talked to a guy who spent an obscene amount of money recently to buy his domain name. We're talking with Trevor Mock, founder of Carrot.com, a software company that helps real estate investors and real estate agents stand out, convert more leads, and close more deals. So, some awesome stuff in this episode. Trevor's going to tell us why. When he builds a company, he doesn't necessarily build it around his passion. In fact, building a company around your passion can lead to potential failure. He tells us about how we can build a strong brand for our company, both a strong brand to our customers externally and also a strong brand internally with our employees. He gives us a few great tips for how we can better utilize Google to improve our search ranking if we have an online business.
0: And one of my very favorite parts, Trevor tells us about this awesome concept that he's got. It's called the energy audit. And I'll tell you what, it will completely change the way you think about your daily routine.
2: Okay, well, before we jump into our episode, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. All right, guys, real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting-edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, Thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry, thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit fundrise.com slash bpbusiness. That's F-U-N-D. R-I-S-E dot com slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's funrise.com slash BP Business. So without any further ado, let's jump right in.
1: So let's welcome Trevor Mock to the podcast. How you doing, Trevor? I'm doing excellent. I, I I'm crazy pumped about this new podcast you guys have and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Uh, it's gonna be fun.
0: I'm excited to have you too Trevor. It's I think it's such good timing too with the with the launch and acquisition of carrot.com and it's just perfect timing. Hey,
2: We're hey, so hey spoiler. To talk to
1: you. Spoiler. Spoiler oh, alert. Okay. <laughs>
0: Dang, <laughs> guilty. That's right right off the I'm,
1: bat. I'm wearing my carrot National Carrot Day shirts if you're watching the video. Uh, we printed these special shirts last last week. It was International Carrot Day 2 weeks ago. April 4th. And uh, A- April 4th A- that's A- everybody right, knows now.
2: International Carrot Day. <laughs>
1: totally. Everybody. Everybody does now, right? Okay, uh,
2: so Trevor, not funny story, but interesting story. I first heard of you about five years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I believe that's around the time you launched Carrot. Uh, Carol and I moved from Atlanta to the D.C. area back in 2013, and then in early 2014 we bought our first property in Maryland, and we bought it from a wholesaler. Okay. And I was doing some research on her at the time because we always like to research the people we're buying properties from. And the first thing that came up was a video that she did with you, and it was your. It turns out it was your very first customer video review that you ever did with Carrot. Her name was uh, Brittany Bowling. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, that was my first introduction to you. That was my first introduction to Carrot. And so I've kind of been following you for the last five years and following Carrot for the last five years. So just to interesting uh, story there that uh, I think I I came across you it right about the beginning. Yep. So anyway, we're going to talk a lot about Carrot, obviously, but I want to step back. And can you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Can you tell us a little bit about when you first got that entrepreneurial itch and, and how you got to where you are now?
1: Dude, it, it's such a good question because you hear all the time on entrepreneur podcasts where almost every time it's like, man, I, I was, I had the the lemonade stand, you know, I was, I was going to school selling candy bars. That wasn't me, dude. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I I wanted nothing to do with business growing up. Uh, My parents had both started small businesses when I was young and uh, out of necessity, it wasn't because they were born entrepreneurs. Neither one of their parents were entrepreneurs. One was a, a farmer, which you could say that there's entrepreneurial in there, but that was out of need, they were always broke. And then my mom's side of the family, he, um, my grandpa was a, a coach and a teacher. So there was no entrepreneurship really in the family unless you go back a couple couple of extra generations. And I remember my dad, he uh, was probably between first and third grade. I can't remember the exact time frame. But he lost, he lost his job. So he had became the general manager of this equipment rental store for farm uh, for farmers, like renting combines and tractors, and they would sell them and stuff. And the business was in terrible shape when my dad stepped in. And so he basically kind of came in to help wind things down. So he was without a job. And that was the first experience I ever had was he goes, okay, I, I could either make another, I could either go get another job, or he chose to create his own, and he started a company. And they've done very well for themselves. They still have those companies today. My mom started one in our basement. So I remember people coming in that are having weddings and she was a, a wedding planner. They'd literally come into our basement, sit down and her in her, our basement. She had shelves downstairs in our basement with napkins on them and cake tops and stuff like that. And so for me, I didn't see it as entrepreneurship. I saw it as my parents doing what they needed to do to put food in our tables. We were never rich. And I'll throw out to you why I, I never really wanted to do business is because my parents are amazing. My dad's the most positive person that I know, except when it comes around employees, you know? So what, what, what I had experienced was you could never find good employees. Business is hard. All these things that kind of had some semi-negative mindsets around starting a business. So I remember we would be busting our butts as, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds in the summers, packing chairs, setting up tents for weddings in the summers and that to me was like, I don't want to run a business if this is what it is. Yep. If there's no free time, if there's no flexibility, if you're always bound to your business and can't get away from it. I don't want that if that's what business is. So that was the start of, of where I found out about business. I didn't become attracted to business until it was out of college.
2: That That's awesome. And one thing that uh, I've noticed over the years is that people that are entrepreneurs now that were exposed to entrepreneurship early on, like their parents were entrepreneurs. Mm. Uh, they have a much different attitude towards starting a business. I know a lot of people that don't really get into entrepreneurship or starting a business till later in life, they tend to think it's glamorous. It's it's something to be really excited about. Every day is going to be fun. Every task is going to be exciting. Uh, but those who have been exposed early on, and I was not exposed early on, so I, I fall into the second crowd. But those that were exposed early on realize that it's a lot of hard work. And, and most of the tasks you're doing they're not going to excite you. It's not stuff you get up every morning and say, "I can't wait to do the books or to write out paychecks." So that's 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 definitely something I've learned that if you're starting out early, you you, you have a different attitude than if uh, if you're just jumping in when you're 25 years old.
1: You, you do for sure because for me, when I was a young kid, once again, I I wasn't able to do any of the fun stuff. I wasn't doing the marketing things. I was doing the grunt work. You know, I was packing stuff around and but the cool thing about that, you know, is is if I look back on on why is carrot the way that it is today, Why are we, you know, uh, seen as one of the the best customer experiences, not just in this industry, but any company that our customers work with, you know, why is it that we have an amazing culture? Why is it that we focus so much on customer experience? It's because what I learned at my parents' company, you know, it, it wasn't acceptable to go up and help set up a wedding and not leave with that person raving about the experience. It wasn't acceptable for us to be late to set up a wedding. It wasn't acceptable for us to not have an exceptional experience you know, for those clients. And so I had that really ingrained into me early on. It's like, you might as well be great at whatever you're doing. And that's when we started to, uh, with care. I'm like, let's not just do it good. Let's, can we be the best in the world at it? And that's what we really set out to do.
0: So I find it so interesting that you not only had really never considered entrepreneurialism, you were it sounds like you were full on against it. Because like you said, there you are, the middle of the summer, you're supposed to be at the pool, (laughs) eating popsicles, playing with your buddies, terrorizing the neighborhood with Nerf blasters, and you're setting up weddings, right? You're like, no, thank you. Yet you still went on to do what you're doing now. So what was that turning point? What was that defining moment where you said, huh, I do want to be an entrepreneur?
1: A, a couple of different things, actually. So I get into high school and I thought I wanted to be a doctor, okay? Because I'm like, I'm going to go the opposite direction of this business thing. I think being a doctor sounds cool. It's kind of like you have these traditional money mindsets that people tell you that doctor equals successful, lawyer equals successful, some sort of profession equals success, right? And stable. And, um, and in high school, I took a, a class called health occupations class. And this is the first lesson is I think people need to dabble. People need to explore and dabble a lot. And in health, health occupations class, I learned pretty darn quick I wasn't going to be an a orthopedic surgeon when I almost fainted in the, you know, in the emergency room watching a basic procedure uh, in health occupations class. I'm like, all right. Let's check that one off. A dabbled experimented. don't want to be in the health field. And then I get into to college and um, just like a lot of young people do is, is college is kind of that next evolution. You go to high school. Uh, if you if your parents or society tells you, you go to college and you to go to college to figure it out. And so uh, I went to a very technical school called Oregon Institute of Technology. It's an amazing, amazing technical school. If you're wanting to be an engineer or anything like that, computer scientist, it's not an amazing school if you want to do business. And that's what I did. And so I went there, played baseball, and got a degree in small business management with a marketing and entrepreneurship option. We didn't get to visit one entrepreneur in four years. Not one entrepreneur came in to speak. We didn't We didn't like actually go see real business. And so the only entrepreneurial education I had was the stuff from my parents and then in books. And here's where the switch happened right here, Carol, is this is I had a professor name uh, named was Ari DeGroote, and he was a, just a, he, he was a really um, charismatic guy, first of all, good speaker, but he was an attorney and a real estate investor. And I'm like, this guy, his energy is amazing. Whatever he's doing, I just want that. Like It just seems like he took some sort of path that must have worked for him. And uh, so I started studying, getting good grades. I wanted to go to law school and I wanted to be a real estate investor and an attorney. And I got the real estate investor part down I bought my first property while I was a junior in college when I was, uh, it was, it was 2004, the four unit property there in Klamath Falls, Oregon. I still own that one today. And it, that got me kind of where I go, okay, cool. Yes, I'm young, but that's not an excuse for not going out there and doing something on my own. If I can buy a property with literally like the infomercials say no money down and it's a fourplex and I'm 21 years old and I don't have bad credit. I have no credit. If I can do this, what else can I go out there and do uh, I ended up failing the LSAT to get into law school two times, uh, so that kind of made my decision for me for law. A lot easier. Yep. And and during that that college journey, same thing. I needed money, and I didn't have enough time to to work a real job because I was playing baseball and going to school full time. And so I said, well, I really like creating things. I, I I love the act of landscaping, like the creation of landscaping. I landscaped my parents' new house and you know, there's waterfalls and all kinds of stuff. And I thought it was a lot of fun. So I actually started being a landscaper in college. No kidding. Interesting. Yep.
2: So let's step back here real quick. So you mentioned you bought a four unit property. What was the goal for that property? Did you want to be a real estate investor? Do you want to start a real estate empire? Or were you just uh, forward thinking enough to think, ah, I need to start building up uh, investments and I need to start planning for retirement, which was what was, what was your thought process there?
1: Yeah, at at the start, I honestly wanted to be a house flipper and wholesaler because that that was at the time of, you know, 2003, four, five, when everything was just blowing up and everybody and their dog wanted to do real estate, kind of like it has been the last three years, except even hyper, hyper crazy. And so I was on all the forums, I was on everything, you know, learning everything about flipping and wholesaling. And when, when it got down to it for me anyway, I went, man, I really like marketing and I really like this stuff, but it just doesn't seem attractive to me personally that to make my everyday business real estate. I, I want to figure out something else, but I want, I want real estate to be my wealth building tool. Got it. And so after a year of researching everything in wholesaling and flipping, and I was one of those guys who could probably answer the forum questions well, but I'd never done it before. And I'm like, you know what, let me just shift. What if I just tried to find a rental property and maybe that's more of what I want to do. I want to make money doing things that interest me a lot on the, on the, on the daily basis and take that money and put it into real estate for wealth. Got and That's it. what I did.
2: Awesome. So you bought the fourplex, you decided you wanted to start a landscaping business. What was the, what's, what's the next step in that journey?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I probably got four or five clients, you know, uh, during that time, I didn't do the maintenance. I love the build out of it. And that's one thing I discovered about myself is there's a phrase now that I know of called unique ability. You know, what do you love? What, what things give you more energy when you're done doing the things than when you started and I didn't know that there was a concept called that at that time. I just knew that I didn't like doing maintenance, but I loved the creation of the thing. I could draw it out. I could design it. And now to get my buddies in the baseball team, pay them really well, we would jam it all out in two days. And then we would come out the other end with some really good money and a, and a creation, something was made and then hand it off to someone else to maintain. And so that was kind of what I did there. And I realized, well, either I'm going to have to build a team and do this or I'm going to just do something else because I don't want to be out there breaking my back every single day, you know, building this stuff. I just want to design it, which means other people are going to have to build it. And, uh, from that programming that I had, had got inadvertently from my parents, I'm like, I don't want to build a team because employees equal pain in the butt. Okay. So at that decision, I said, okay, landscaping, I'm done. I'm going to chase this real estate thing. And so after I graduated from college, my wife, we got married right after college. We moved up to Portland, Oregon, and I said, "I'm going to give myself a year. I'm going to give myself 12 months." And um, this is a huge lesson I love young people to latch onto. This is give yourself a time to figure it out, especially while you're young and you don't have maybe a lot of those those things, the, the commitments, right? And I gave myself a year when my, when my wife was getting her master's degree. I said, "I'm going to try to figure out this entrepreneur thing. If I don't figure it out this year, I'll go and get a job." And so that year was me really trials, tribulations actually learning what real marketing is. And then I found the internet uh, as far as business goes. And that's when things took off. That, that's so
0: awesome. I want to I hear what are more of the in that year. And I, I love that tip that you just gave to listeners about giving yourself, allotting yourself that period of time where you can experiment, where you can find, like you said, what your passion is and how you can implement it, um, try different things and learn what really matters and see what works, what doesn't, and so on. So, um, what were some of those during that year period? What were some of those trials and tribulations that enabled you to rule some things out?
1: Yeah, so the, the first thing for me, Carol, is number one, be open to new ideas. I came in had had no clue what I was going to do. I, just don't le- I knew I wanted to learn about marketing. So my uncle, who was one of my clients, paid me almost nothing, but I so appreciate the opportunity that he paid me something so I could pay my bills and learn marketing. He had a mortgage brokerage company that he worked for. He didn't own it, and he walked in one day and pointed at the computer screens like. Google this. Google like Portland mortgage brokers. I I did it. And he goes, how do I get there? Do you know how to do that? I'm like, no clue, but I'll figure it out. So be open to new things. And number two, just try to figure things out, like learn and dive in and and experiment with things. The next thing, Carol, was this is after I started to learn some things, I go, okay, I'm going to dabble on on my side over here and start to test these. How do I get traffic? How do I write content? How do I, how do I, how does this internet work related to business? And I said, okay, I'm out there trying to sell consulting services for people, but no one's buying, like no one's buying these services, nor should they have. I had no track record. I had a terrible pitch. I didn't know anything about anything. And so the next thing I said, you know what, if, if no one's buying my services right now, why don't I just go give them away? Why don't I just like find people add so much value to them asking nothing in return. And I'd I'd find people that, that um, I knew that I could add a result to, and I'd reach out to them and say, Hey, I noticed this on your website. Why don't you tweak these two or three things? And I think it'll give you a better result. Da da da, da. They'd hit me back saying, hey, can you do it? I'm like, yeah, totally. Just you know, let me know. Let me do it. And I would do it for them. Yeah. What can I pay you? Yeah, nothing. Just go get a good result. Enjoy it. Let me know if there's anything I can help with. And that mindset right there, the whole go-giver mindset was huge. Not, not going out there trying to get mine. How do I help other people get theirs? In turn, I think it will come back. That mindset really fueled me over the next couple of years.
2: That's great. And you said something a few minutes ago that I think is really important. And uh, you mentioned unique ability. What are you good at? I have a friend named Matt Faircloth, a lot of Bigger Pockets listeners know Matt. And he struck me. The first time I heard him, somebody walked up to him like uh, an aspiring real estate investor and started talking to him, looking for advice. And Matt cut off the conversation. The first thing he asked the guy was, what's your superpower? And I love that question. It's basically asking, what are you really good at? What's your, in your terms or in your words, what's your unique ability? And then focus your aspirations, your business, whatever you're going to do in life around that unique ability, around that superpower. So many of us are, it's ingrained in our head when we grow up. Our parents tell us, you can be anything you want to be. Figure out something you love and do what you love. And I mean, if if it were that simple, I'd be a professional baseball player. Um, (laughs) Me too, man. Yeah, but I'm never going to be a professional baseball player as much as I love it. So there's more than just doing what you love. There's figuring out what your unique unique ability is and what you're good at. So what's your advice to people when they're trying to find that intersection of what they love and what they're good at to, to, to forge a path forward?
1: Man, I, I could literally talk about this topic for, th- for three hours. I was meeting with my, one of my employees at the coffee shop right before this morning, and that was a lot of what our talk about you know, was about. And it all comes down to this, w- this one word. And the, the advice, and I'll tell you what the word is here in a second, but the advice that you had mentioned there uh, a second ago, Jay, with your friend who who talked about your superpower, I, dude, I had heard the, the same feedback. I'd heard the same advice. People told me the same thing. And uh, over those next few years, as I started, uh, as I started my own online publishing company, I was doing what what most would have considered at that time my superpower. I was pretty good at marketing, okay? I was I was uh people would pay me a lot of money to execute marketing stuff for them and I would do it for my own company as well. That's what people would say, "Hey, his superpower is online marketing stuff." Okay? The problem is, when I was going down that route and just chasing what I'm really really good at, it actually wasn't the things that that, that I should have been chasing. It made me miserable. And this is I think it's some of the the most well-intentioned but but for me, for, for me personally, worst advice that I have ever received is really dive in on, you know, all in on, on your superpower, what you're good at. And here's why. Here's why. And then I'll give people a a, a different twist to it is during the years from 2007, 2000, let's say 2008 through 2010, i had started an online company. We did pretty darn good revenue for being an early 20 something year old guy. Um, you know, mid six figures and made some good money. But I remember 2010, very vividly waking up, you know, we had our first daughter in 2010, McKinley, we have three kids now four, six and eight. And that year it was kind of a turning point for me, because I'm going, Oh, my gosh, so I've figured out how to make money, check, you know, check that part took two or three years to get there, but figure out how to make some money. Um, But why isn't this entrepreneurial dream there? Like, I thought that this entrepreneur, like the clouds were going to part. As soon as I made this six-figure income, the clouds were going to part. I figured this thing out, right? And I was sitting there in, in bed at 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning feeling sorry for myself that I was miserable, that I, I, I did not want to wake up and do the work that I had created for my job because I was doing what people would consider my superpower, things that I was good at and paid me very well to do it. And it was because I wasn't chasing energy. And that's the word I want to toss at people. Energy is the key. In 2012, I joined a coaching program, and I was trying to find this unique ability thing, right? Because I had it it ingrained in me that it's the things you're great at that you get paid really well for. Once again, I was great at creating marketing campaigns. I was great at creating products. I was great at doing these things. I got paid very well to do them, but they sucked the energy out of me. They sucked the energy out of me. And I was there in Chicago. And the gal I'd read, the, I'd read Dan Sullivan's unique ability book. I bought the thing for 20 bucks thinking I could shortcut the process rather than paying the 6,000 bucks to go through their coaching program. And there's this one thing that she said, and it finally clicked it for me. And I'd probably heard it before. I just didn't, it wasn't the right timing. And she said, your unique ability isn't necessarily what you're great at. She said, that's a misnomer. She said, well, let, let, let me reverse. Your unique ability is something that you're insanely great at. But the thing is, most people don't give themselves a chance to realize what their true unique ability is because they're doing things that they're just really, really good at over here. And so I was doing things that I was really, really good at, which is marketing, execution, things like that. What really gives me energy is this stuff. Is is talking about entrepreneurship. What really gives me energy is strategy, but I hate execution. Execution drags my the energy out of me. What really gives me energy is coaching high level entrepreneurs or my team. What drags the energy out of me is creating a system around it. You know what really gives me energy is is creating things like the landscaping. Right, I love creating it. What what really just like oh, sucks the energy out of me is actually the, to build the thing
0: to build it out.
1: Right. And so that's when she said, it. She's like, oh my gosh, write down the things that give you more energy when you're done doing them than when you started. And if you're insanely great at those things, uh, certain things of those, and you can be world class, that's all you should be doing. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to chase energy. The stuff that I'm getting paid really well for that a lot of people would say is my superpower. It was only my superpower because I didn't give myself a chance to really do the things that are my unique ability. How do I make it to where I switch it to where things that are making a lot of money, at, I'm really, really good at. I don't want to do those anymore, even though that's 90% of my income. How do I switch it to where I'm mainly doing things that give me high energy and then have someone else do this other stuff that makes money?
2: Okay. So you have these things that you're really good at and you know you're mm-hmm. good at them, but they aren't necessarily the things that give you your energy. So clearly- it's not always obvious what you should be focused on again you were focused yep. on the stuff that you were good at so we have especially a lot
1: especially if they make you money right exactly. like that's where people sure, get tripped step up away.
2: okay so we have a lot of listeners out there who are okay well I, I, I hear the words that you're saying i should be focused on the stuff that gives me energy not necessarily or the stuff that gives me energy plus i'm really good at what are yep. some actionable tips that they can take to really figure out what those things are that give them energy and i assume you're talking about not just physical energy but mental energy
1: uh, the, the whole the whole thing. So I'll give you a real example, and people can actually like people take out a piece of paper. Um, if you guys are cool, I'll walk you five minutes through the energy audit. Like That's this awesome. energy audit is the exact thing. People Absolutely. Keep in
2: mind that a lot of people aren't watching this; they're listening. But uh,
1: cool. And, and I can give you guys. I have a PDF template that I use internally. There's no opt-in for it. I can give you guys a link to it. Like I just want people to use it. That'd I have my awesome. team use it.
0: That would be so helpful.
1: Everybody, check the show notes for that template yeah sweet so if you're listening to this or watching you don't have to be watching it take out a piece of paper and it's really amazing when you draw a line down the middle of a piece of paper right like because it, it separates things it gives you it gives you black and white no longer are things gray and so um i don't really have like a blank piece of paper but i'll play with it here so i'm gonna draw a line down the middle of the paper um right here of course i've got my orange pen there so got As a line down the- <laughs> that's right branding right <laughs> Um, I've got my line down the middle of the paper on the left side of that piece of paper, right at the top energy, you know, gives energy at the right side of the paper, put drains energy. And this is what the first part of the energiata is left side of the paper
2: it's, gives energy right side of the paper drains energy.
1: Yep, got exactly. It. And so really pull back and go on an average week on an average week, what things give me more energy when I'm done doing them than when I started. And that's the key. What things give me more energy when I'm done doing them than when I started that's business. That's life. For me, working out. Uh, for me, doing things like this, podcast interviews. Uh, strategy. I, I'm going to blow into the boardroom. The, white, the whiteboard is just going to be full, then I want to leave. You know, like that gives me energy. The, the second that we have to think about how to do it, I'm like, uh,
0: Out of here. I'm done. Yeah, give,
1: give me another whiteboard. Yeah, give me another whiteboard you know, it's spending time with your kids, what types of things with your kids, with your spouse, like what are those things that give you energy, right? Um, on the right side of things, then the same thing, you do the, the energy drains. And I would look at your average week, I'd go, okay, what do I do on an average week that just sucks my energy, even if it makes you a bunch of money, even if you, ha- if, even if it has to get done in your business, write that down. And this is where the magic was, like, that right there had done, been done a million times. The cool, like, cool, I've got, I, I know what my problems are, but how do, I, how do I move it now? How do I move it to where I flip-flop my ratio? And I said, okay, the only way you can move something is if you measure it. Right, So at the bottom of that piece of paper, and this template actually gives all the spots and gives instructions, at the bottom of it, write down percentages. Go, okay, cool. What percentage of my week is spent doing these energy gives things? What percentage of my week is spent doing these energy drain things? For me at that time in 2010, it was 20% of the giving energy and 80% draining. No wonder... I wasn't able to really light my business up and scale it. No wonder I wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. No wonder I didn't feel purpose and passion in my work because most of yeah, your energy was
0: sucked every single day. If 80% of your time was not stuff that was giving you energy, it was draining you over and over. Yeah.
1: But but I got paid well for it. So society was saying, "Keep doing that because you're getting paid more. well for it," right? You're getting paid well for it, you're really good at it, do that stuff, right? And and so you have your percentage and you go, "Okay, my aim over the next 2-3 years Each quarter is to do this 15 minute energy audit and I'm going to move things one by one over and over time, I'm going to move it from 20% energy, energy giving to 80% energy, energy giving today. I'm about 80 to 85% of my life today. Work in life is, is energy giving now. And so what you do then on the right side is you take your energy draining stuff and you go, okay. What are the one, two or three things that are just killing me the most right now, even if they make you a bunch of money and circle those and write how many hours per week you're spending in each one of those activities. So here's an example, a real world example. One of the things that built Carrot to one of the fast growing companies in America is our content. We write a long, a lot of long format content, ranks really well in Google, gets people in there, builds expertise and trust, converts them into our customer bars, right? And so I'm looking at it going, oh my gosh, I'm really good at this. Like, one of the best people out there at writing long format content, but I hate it. Like I hate it. Yeah, it makes and us you're a lot of money. It. Yeah. Right. And it makes us a lot of money. So how do I stop doing that? And I'm the only one in our company that can do that right now at, at this level. And so I'm writing that in like eight hours. Okay. Then there was probably something else on there too. And then I go, okay, eight hours. I'm going to gain back if I can get rid of that. How do I get rid of that? And that was hard because we placed, we place these mental limiting beliefs in our mind going, well, I've got to do that. No one else in my company can do it, or I can't stop doing that because it makes us money So therefore I've got to do it. And I'm like, you know what, if I can get rid of that and add something that gives me energy, I think I'm going to actually be way more productive in my business and happier. And if I'm more productive and happier, therefore everything's going to be better. So I took that and I said, I'm going to take that same eight hours and put it over here to these two things that give me energy. One of them is doing interviews, doing talks on entrepreneurship and stuff, but I didn't know how to make money doing that. I didn't have a podcast at that time.
2: So, so wait a second. So you now have this long form content writing that you're really good at, but sucks energy from you. You're going to take that off your plate, but you're the only one, your company can, that can do that. So how exactly did you get that off your plate?
1: Yep. The first thing is I had to give myself permission that I wasn't the only one that had to do that. Um, that someone else could do it if I created process, Right. So I pulled back and I said, cool. So I circled those one or two things I wanted to get off my plate. I circled the one thing that I wanted to add that gave me energy, even though I had no clue how I was going to make money with it, which was doing a podcast. And I said, "Okay, cool. Um, That's my first thing I need to do this quarter is how do I get that article writing thing off my lap? What I did is I pulled back and I documented for about a day. I documented my process and how to write great content. And then I went out there and found the best possible writer that I could find and pay him a crazy amount of money. And I paid him $1,000 an article. Some of them were up to $2,000 to write one article, which people would look at that and go, that's insane. Well, maybe it was, but this guy ended up becoming the editor-in-chief of Shopify Plus. Like, the guy who ran Shopify Plus's entire content team was my writer for two years. And it's invaluable. That, really valuable, right? So he came in and just started writing it. I didn't have to train him because he was already amazing. I documented how I do some stuff, but he made it way better. And I'm like, cool, that's done now it takes some money out of budget, but that's okay. I'm going to go over here and just do podcasts now. And that lit things up. And now we make a lot of money through podcasts because the culture and the energy that we built with it.
2: That's awesome. And it reinforces uh, an idea that I like to throw out to people who come to me and ask, how can I scale my business? How can I make my business more efficient? How can I grow my business? And the first thing I remind them of everything in your business requires one of two things. It either requires time or it requires money. And if you have an inefficient business, it's going to require both. But if you're running an efficient business, everything you do is going to take either time or money. And as a business owner, you need to decide which of those is more valuable to you. And you did a great job of explaining it. For you, what's more valuable is is your time. You need your time to spend on the things that don't drain your energy, that give you energy. And so, as a business owner, you need to be willing to spend the money to get that other stuff off your plate. And there's no middle ground, there's no way you can do it without spending time or money, but you need to be able to make that decision. And there's no shame in saying, I'm going to spend money to get this off my plate. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm investing in my business, I'm investing in myself. I may not be making the best financial decision today. But this is what's going to allow me to get my business to where I want it to be a year from now or five years from now or five, 10 or 10 years from now. And you need to do that for every aspect of your business, because ultimately you want your business to be able to operate without you. Yep. And the only way to do that is to document, to, to create systems and processes and start getting things off your plate.
1: Man, you said something really important. I want, I want people to, to go back and, and let this sink into their mind for a second is, as you mentioned, maybe it's not the best financial decision for me personally today to spend this money to have someone do it. And I 100% agree with you, because what happened with that guys is, is, is Jay said it's either got to be time or money. Okay, for me, I had more money than time at the start of the company. So I had to dig in and do things I was good at, but I didn't like to get to get momentum going. And that's part of what we have to do. Like you got to go, okay, what are, what are the things? What, what's that income level that I got to get to so I can start to bring in people right to help with this thing. And that's where I started to make that mindset shift and start to get rid of some of those mindsets that I had ingrained into me from my from my um, upbringing, about employees are a pain in the butt. You can't find good people. They steal from you because they did steal from my parents, like multiple six figures. Some of the most trusted people in the company. And so at that time, I'm going, okay. And, and this is really what hit it for me, uh, Jane Carroll. Is this is is right around 2000? It was probably end of 2014, maybe 2015. After just hustling my butt off for that first year, year and a half, starting carrot. Um, I didn't pay myself a dime from the company for 18 months, and I had some money coming in for, from consulting and some rental property stuff. But I didn't pay myself a dime because I said, "Okay, can we get can we get some traction with this? Number one, And I'm going to take all of my profits and put it back into people." Um, but I still had this limiting belief that people equaled pain in the butt, and so I'm like, "I'm going to keep my team small, and we're not going to get any more than five or six or seven people because that equals you know pain in the butt." That's what I had learned. And after putting in so many late nights, writing these articles and just hustling my butt off trying to create, to create the business, I don't even know how many hours I worked. Like, I can't tell you, was it a hundred hours a week? I don't know. I was having fun doing it, but it was a lot of hours. And I remember a family trip. We were driving over the mountain. It's about a three hour, three hour trip to my parents' house. Middle of the day, uh, after I'd pulled a bender, you know, the, during that week writing content, uh, I was thinking, well, shoot, I'm going to stay up, you know, uh, going to get home from work. Gonna have family time, dinner, put the kids to bed, a little bit of time with my wife. And then at 11 o'clock, I'll open up my computer and I'll work through two, three, four hours, writing content, catch up on stuff. And I thought, well, it's not impacting the family, right? Because uh, they they still get the time and I I will just work on less sleep. It's not impacting the family. It's the hustle and grind mode mindset. And we were driving down to Klamath Falls and it was after I did a three in the morning bedtime, which was normal for me at that time. And one second I was awake and the next second I wasn't. So we were up in the oh. mountains guardrail. And I just remember literally being awake one second and not even feeling like I was getting ready to fall asleep. And then the next second, just like in the movies, you you, you go, there's no way it would have actually been this close, right? The movies are like, oh, the the, the bumper scrapes the guardrail. I'm like, no way it would have been that close. It would have, it's just, that's movie stuff. That's exactly what happened. Hmm. I woke up, there's a ravine. Um, I see see us going towards the guardrail, and just in enough time, I don't know if it's a God thing, I don't know whatever it is. But I woke up just in enough time where I swerved, bumper hits guardrail, and I just stopped dead in the middle in the middle of the highway, and without saying a word, get out. And uh, you know I'm like almost like tearing up here talking about it because my three kids were in the back seat, but there uh, were two of them were in the back seat. I don't remember the year oh specifically that anyway. And so I get out my wife was looking at me because she was reading and she didn't even see what happened. And we just switched spots and I didn't say a word for probably 30 minutes. And I was just thinking about it going, man, I almost killed my family because of the hustle and grind. Like
0: you literally have me, I'm I'm choking back the tears here, Trevor. I cannot even imagine. There's so many thought processes going through my head right now Mm. and how terrifying that must've been. And was that almost I hate to be cliche, but was yeah. that like the most horribly effective wake up call you? Oh, my God. No pun intended. Yeah. Horribly effective wake up call you ever could have received unintentionally?
1: It, it, it was a big one, Carol, because like I said, we, we have all these things ingrained into us. We have the hustle. We have the grind. We have glorifying the hustle and grind in there. And I think hustle and grind is good for a period of time. If, if you look at gears, like you think of what a grind is, grinding gears can only grind for so long before the whole machine breaks. And I think people glorify the grind so much thinking it can be a perpetual lifestyle. It can't be. And so for me, I had been grinding for two years thinking I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't need to build a big team because big team equals pain in the butt. And, but I still want this entrepreneurial dream. I want freedom. I want flexibility. I want to grow those finances. I want to make an impact. And at that moment, that was a life changer for me because then I'm going, okay, I need to really go all in on this unique ability thing. I need to really go all in on, on what the process that I had started creating, which was the energy audit. And I need to regain my time back. Yeah. I need to make this business so it fuels my passion, so it truly is something that can run without me and grow without me if I wanted to, not to where I'm supporting it, where it can support me. And from that second, I literally went cold turkey. Uh, I, almost, I almost overcorrected the wrong, uh, overcorrected so far the other way. I didn't work one night or one weekend for two years after that. Uh, two years computer would stay in the truck.
2: That's great. That's that's. I, I mean, I know a lot of people, especially these days. anybody that's on Facebook and 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 has has seen the Facebook posts about hey, are you are you sleeping past three thirty a.m. because you're wasting your day? And yep. if you're not working eighteen hours a day, you're you're not hustling. You're not uh, you're you're not doing what you need to do. But business is it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And right. you can't. That's not sustainable. Yeah, some of us have to work eighteen hours a day for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, but you have to think of it from from the the long long, long term
0: health implications perspective too. Not yeah. just, not just what it's doing in the short good, term, Good but for you and good time. for your
2: business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. All, all, all that stuff. And that, that was the big, that was a big changing thing for, for me. And I want people to really take this to heart is really think about why are we starting these businesses? You know, what, why, why are we doing this? Is, is it just to make money? If that's the case, you know, I, I make more money today than I ever thought I could ever make in a year and it doesn't make me any happier. You know what? What makes me sure. happy? What makes me happy is uh-huh. is really creating a business with real people with real impact. What makes me happy is 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 that is impact. And um, so for me, at that point, I go, "What mental programming do I have to get get out of my brain to to do this?" Because obviously, it wasn't really working. The money side, we were getting traction, but the whole entrepreneurial dream thing—freedom, flexibility, finances, and impact—wasn't happening.
0: None of the above.
1: Yep. And so I said, "Well, m- maybe that mental programming that I had adopted growing up isn't correct." Maybe sure. you can build a great team with great people and actually make your life easier than it being harder. And I made that decision right there. I'm like, because I can no longer work, work nights or weekends, I'm not doing it anymore. Therefore, I have to build a team to make up for, for me cutting my hours way back. And that's what I did. And, and I would never, ever, ever do it differently uh, other than doing it earlier. And I'm just so grateful now that when you look at, at really creating a company with the team whether it's two people or 25 like we have now, we'll be over probably 35 by the end of the year. Uh, to me, it's like one of the most amazing things when you get it right. Because now I can truly step away for, I could step, step away for six months and this business will be bigger if, when I came back if I wanted to.
0: Okay, I want to take a quick break from the show to tell you how our sponsor, WiseHire, can help you grow your business. WiseHire helps you understand your own personality and the personalities of job candidates which is totally crucial if you're trying to find the perfect match for a position they do this by using the DISC personality assessment and if you're unfamiliar with it DISC is a simple survey that explains a lot about you and it helps you build better relationships the bigger pockets staff actually uses the DISC assessment in their teams so here's how it works Wise WiseHire's simple software and expert hiring coaches help you write a quality job description, and then they post your ad to 60 plus job boards, including Indeed, LinkedIn, and ZipRecruiter. Once your candidates start applying, WiseHire automatically gives them a personality assessment and stores their score as well as their resume in one place for you to review. Over 3,000 small businesses and teams trust WiseHire to help them grow. So check it out today at wisehire.com. That's W-I-Z-E hire.com. So you were hustling and grinding and hustling and grinding for... 2 years and you were not sleeping and just avoided a uh, potential horrible tragedy so you had that mindset shift where you realized you needed to hire people they they wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing which was previously ingrained in you you wanted to build this company with a team so how does that play into how you started carrot where, where there's a transition there let's 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 start building this thing out with the help of other people and grow. So what was that that first little nugget that was like there is there is some potential here for yeah. something different with the help of other people and let's grow this.
1: So this is where it gets fun. Like this, this is where my business journey as it gets fun. All the other years I learned so much and that all built up to what we were able to do today, which is cool. But right around, right around that moment too, you know, right, I, right at the time we were starting, Carrot after my previous company and I was doing things that paid me well but didn't give me energy, you know, then I shifted over to how do I build something and get more focused and focus on fewer things is I wrote these things I call non-negotiables down. And between those companies, that, that publishing company, I sold my 50% share in that just to get just to get out of it. Love my business partner. We still do business today. We have a mastermind we've been doing for 10 years, so we're great friends. But uh, that was the first thing I had to do, Kara, was, okay, Let me really focus on fewer but better things, first of all. Uh, I think in general, entrepreneurs, have this mindset that being a serial entrepreneur with five, six, seven businesses is a cool thing. They look at guys like Richard Branson. he's got 180 companies. Like, he can do it. He doesn't run any of them. Nope. Like, that's, that's the right.
0: thing. Not even a little bit. Yeah, he doesn't
1: run any of them. So, he's figured out his unique ability, what gives him energy, what he's insanely great at, potentially world class at. And then he hi- finds people to run the companies. Where we fall into, into traps is we're running five different companies and we think that's cool. Yeah. And so, at that time, I cut ties from all companies except for one software company I had invested in which is blowing up now and then i said what's my next thing and what what do i want to make sure that this next thing really always does or follows what what are those guiding principles and i wrote non-negotiables down. there are these five non-negotiables and i said cool any business i ever start from here on out has to match these five non-negotiables otherwise i'm going to shift the business or stop it and number two um I so, so, wh- my- so
2: what were those five non-negotiables for you
1: yeah, well, one of, them, one of them was I wasn't having a lot of fun in general in my previous company because I wasn't doing unique ability stuff. So uh, one of them was, was, was have fun. Uh, next thing was uh, build something, build an asset, uh, a valuable asset that matters. Before I was doing kind of transactional stuff, right? And when you start to look at legacy, you go, well, if, I'm, if I have a business that's a tr- am I really building something that can be an asset for my family? Am I really building a long-term deal? And my previous company wasn't. So I'm like, okay, I need to pick a business model that actually builds an asset. Um, That's where the software thing came in. So I invested in a software company. I saw recurring revenue and the predictability of that. I'm like, that's amazing. I want predictability. That was was, uh, non-negotiable number three is predictable, consistent finances. Because when you have predictable, consistent finances, what happens is you actually get freedom and flexibility. Like you can't have freedom and flexibility without predictability and consistency on the financial side of things. So, you see a lot of people that they might be rich, they might have millions in the bank, but they're boom and bust. They make 200 grand one month, and the next month they make 35,000. They're stressed every month and they do not have freedom and flexibility, even though they've got the money. So, I'm like, cool, we've got to have the the predictability and consistency. One of them was focus on my unique abilities. That's number four. Go all in on my unique abilities. The fifth one, I'm trying to pull it up here. I honestly can't remember what the fifth one is right now.
2: And that's okay. The the reason I didn't ask you that question as a gotcha type question. No, but totally. I, but I think it's so important. I, I hear people all the time saying, Yeah, we wrote out our mission statement for our company. Here are our company values, here are my non-negotiables to use your term. Um, but then as soon as it's written or as soon as it's like in a a, a, a word doc somewhere.
0: It's forgotten about. It's not lived and implemented on a daily basis, right? right? And the
2: fact that you wrote this five, six, seven years ago, and you can still rattle off what these five things are, that's so important. And it's just a good lesson for our listeners that if you're going to take the time, these things are important enough to think about and write down. Don't just write them down and forget about them. Write them down and and live them. Keep them, read it every day
1: exactly and and the important thing here is so i I pulled up the the document i got them all but the one so singular focus on the big thing was the fifth one because i had so many things where i was doing i was doing a lot of activities before i'm like I just want to focus on one thing and be really good at it. And let's see, let's see what can happen if I just do one thing and be really good at it. And so that was the fifth one. The funny thing is here guys is the non-negotiables. The reason I couldn't rattle all five of them off is because that is what got me started to start carrot was like, what are my, what are my guidelines? Once we got into year two or year three, like the first year with carrot, I'm going, okay, I just want to see if I can focus on one darn thing. And if this, if this idea that I've got actually has any legs and that's all my mission is going to be this year. Yep. There's not, I don't have a life purpose right now other than to be an amazing father, amazing husband, and to try to be the best entrepreneur I can be, which I can only do that if I focus on one thing. And so we get to the year of, uh, end of year one. I'm like, cool. It looks like there's a little traction here. Let me make a contract with myself for one more year. This goes all the way back to my contract with myself out of college. Let me give myself one full year, twelve months—not ten months. Not if I can't figure it out in six months, I'll go get a job. It's—I'm going to give myself twelve months, a contract for the year with myself. I did that with Carrot the first year, contract for myself for the year. Let me put twelve full months into this, see if the idea will work. And then the next year I'll look at it again and make a full another contract with myself. Do I want to do this for twelve more months? And so I did that year or two. We're going okay. This works. Year two it was cool. My contract with myself is—is is I want to be the see if we can be the best in the world at this. OK, so by the end of year two, we're like, I I think we're getting there. We're not there yet, but I think we're getting there. Year three, the new contract with myself for those next 12 months was like, OK, I really believe that we either are or are very close to being the best in the world at what we do in our niche. But what happens when we get there? Like, what's next? And then I'm like, I want to build something that has purpose and matters, And right around there is when I started to really dive in and adopt unique ability in a big way and really made that mental mindset shift to go, you know what, if we're really going to make a go of this, I've got to build a team. And how do I build an amazing team? I'm going to model companies and people that built great cultures. I'm going to model companies and people that built great brands that attract the right people. How do I become a better leader so people actually want to work here and work for us? Because I know that if we're going to build this thing and be the best in the world at what we do and also have a bigger impact, there's got to be a team of people right here alongside with me. So that, that third year is when things really shifted for Carrot and grew really, really fast.
2: That's great. And I, I hate to step back here, but uh, I don't think we ever told our listeners, and I'm sure a lot of them are familiar with Carrot. A lot of them probably use Carrot. Uh, but for those who aren't familiar, can you talk a little bit about the mission of Carrot and uh, and what your business does, what, what, uh, what, what
1: problem it's trying to solve? For sure. So the, the problem we're trying to solve is uh, my background is on online lead generation, content marketing, and conversion rate optimization. How do you make your websites and online marketing actually work better, have a higher ROI? And that's what I did for years before Carrot. And so people were coming to me, investors were coming to me saying, hey, I see that you're getting stuff ranked really well on Google. How do I do that? And after so many people asked me, we ended up test beta, you know, beta testing a service on it. And so if you're to Google sell my house fast or in sell, you know, we buy houses or any phrase like that, insert any city in the country, you're going to find several Carrot customers probably controlling the top of page one in Google for almost every motivated house seller phrase in America. Um, and you can go into cash buyers and all those kinds of things too. So we help you get in front of your highest quality and best prox- prospects online as a real estate investor and now an agent. And then we help you convert them into a lead at a much higher rate once they get to your website. That's what we do. We work with a lot of the biggest home buyers and, and uh, house flippers, wholesalers in the country, now agents. But the mission, the mission, this came in year three. Year one, the mission was this, will this work? Year two, the mission was, can we be the best at the lead generation part of it? Year three was like, Let's have a bigger purpose with this thing. And I don't want to do this if it's all about leads. That bores the crap out of me. I'm not passionate about leads. I'm not passionate about real estate. I'm not passionate about software. What I am passionate about is this is a vehicle to make change and impact. And for us, what what we loved the most was the interactions we were having with our customers. It was how do we change our customers and our market's mind and elevate the experience that people expect to have with companies, not just in the real estate market, I want to I wanna change the perception. Every single person that ever interacts with Carrot, I want them to compare that experience with any company they ever work with and elevate what they expect business to do. And so we said, what is that about? This is all about we wanna we wanna have business add humanity back to the world. Business so much, you go to masterminds, people talk about automation, automation, automation. Automation is good, but automation should only happen if you're automating out low touch low value things and putting the human in in amplifying the human touch somewhere else so many businesses automate out the human touch to make the roi bigger and we're like no. if if everyone's packing the like you look at kids these days or even a lot of adults no one no one talking like you're in an elevator everyone's looks down at this thing like humanity is slowly slipping away and can we use business to add humanity back in the equation that's awesome
2: I know we have a bunch of listeners who are actually trying to start businesses like Carrot, not necessarily in the real estate space, but they're trying to break into content marketing and and building uh, online businesses, services that can get the attention of customers. And that's something that Carrot obviously has been amazing at, that you've been amazing at, at, at doing. So can you give us some tips? So for those people who can't just get a, a, a carrot website because they're not necessarily in the real estate space, can you give us some tips for how those people who are in the online space that want to do a better job of acquiring customers, of getting to the top of Google, um, of gaining attention for themselves and their businesses, what are some tips that they can do to, to, to do that?
1: Yep, the, there's a couple right here. And it's funny, I, I was thinking about this the other day and I re- recorded a podcast on it that'll be published here in a couple of weeks on on, on our podcast. And, and just for people that might be interested, uh, you run a podcast called Carrot Cast and we'll have a, a link to that in the show notes. That's right, the Carrot Cast, man. Um, and so when I really boiled down, what what was it that made that helped Carrot get to where we are? Uh, it, was, it was a lot of things, but two things in this respect, content and context, right? Because like there's a lot of people who put out a lot of content and you can gain, gain attention putting out a lot of content, but if you don't then, uh, if, if you're not the best possible solution for them, you're not going to get their loyalty. That's where the context part comes in, right? With Carrot, we have amazing content, but then the context comes in the fact that we can prove that our tool is the best. We can prove that our tool will actually solve their problem better than anything else out there. And so that's the first thing I would really challenge people to do is, number one, you've got to really pull back and look at your product. You've got to really pull back and look at your service and go, is it fundamentally better than the other options out there? Because you can put out as much content as you want, but once again, your loyalty, you're not going to have loyalty if you aren't truly the better option. Okay, So focus on your product, focus on actually delivering a better result, a better, a, a better solution to their problem, number one. Number two, now go out there and go, what are the questions that people are asking around this? What are the main problems they're having? What are the main objections they're having? Write those down on a piece of paper and then start every single week just doing videos on those things. Um, and you can do writing, but video just really cracks through the clutter these days in a big way. And I, I've got a framework, and this is exactly what I would have people do first. Is it's almost like a bullseye. So if you picture a bullseye with three rungs to it, the center of the bullseye is what what I call brand, right? Brand is the center of the bullseye. The next rung outside of that is what I call discovery. The next rung outside of that is evangelism. Okay, brand, discovery, evangelism. Once you've nailed your product and you have the context for the story, you have the context that you truly solve people's problem better than anything else. You go, okay, I'm gonna go all in on my content at the start just on my brand. On brand searches, what are your product names? Your product name plus the word reviews. If you're, if you're in a lot of your marketing, Google your name, Google your product, Google, Google your product, plus the word review, see what pops up in Google, because that's the conversation that your market is seeing when they're researching for you. And that's the part that so many people miss is they're putting out all this content, which is discovery content, i.e. how do I generate leads online? How do I do Facebook marketing for real estate investors? That's discovery content. But then if, if they land on my blog post, and then they're like, this carrot thing looks interesting. Now they go, to, they, they go to Google and write carrot reviews, carrot software reviews, carrot versus insert you know competitor. And if we haven't owned that conversation, we're going to be missing out on, that, on, on those sales towards the end of the buy cycle. So start with brand content, okay? Put a video up on your website about who you are, why you do what you do, what you believe in. Because when people do research on your company, when they're close to the end of the buy cycle, they're going to go to your about page. They want to see who the heck you are. So close that sale on your about page, and then completely control the conversation around your brand. One thing that we've done to illustrate this: if you Google Carrot or Investor Carrot reviews, you're going to see pretty much all of page one we curated. It's either some of our affiliates who're like, "Hey, what if we collaborate with you to do a video review on Carrot? That'd be pretty cool." And it's like we we actually drove those. Or you'll see Bigger Pockets forms pop up, right? And so we go, "Well, well, we don't own Bigger Pockets." But it is the the most amazing forum out there. How do we go out there and just add so much value to these forums that when people land on these when they're researching us and our competitors, that it's clear that we're the best. And so we, we joined all of those forum conversations that were popping up when you research our brand. And we essentially own them. We own them. And so that's what I'd focus on, guys: is make sure your product is amazing. It truly is the best, has a clear, unique selling proposition, and then start to Google search all of your brand phrases. See where you need to control the conversation, start to create content on those brand searches, and then you start to create content on discovery phrases, on the main questions, the main objections, the, the you know, Facebook marketing for real estate investors types of phrases.
0: Great. So, it's I find this so interesting that that this tip is really just focus on all these different parts of your brand, and that it's all about the branding, 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 and looking at it at the bullseye where you've got branding, and then branch that out into discovery, branch that out into evangelism. I'm curious in, in looking at your website, and you and I, I'm looking at the different kinds of uh, the different kind of employees you have, and in, in the way you build out your culture. Would you almost say that you've got the branding, discovery, and evangelism? To- to externally grow your company. Do you, do you think, Trevor, that you almost take that whole concept of brand discovery and evangelism, bring it in house, bring it internally, and feed that into the culture of how you run your business so that all of your people who are working for you are working with all of those same type of concepts to make your business flourish?
1: I love it. That's such a good question. So, yes, um, if you were to walk around the offices, or half of our team, or more of our half of our team, is remote. so. Like, how do you bake that into the culture with a remote team, right? Even people in, in Baltimore on our team or California, they're decked out in carrot stuff all day. Like, we don't ask them to, but when they join the company, they get a big old box mailed to them that lands on their first day of, of, of work. And, and it, it gets them all swagged out. It gets their core values. Like, we send them a core values poster. I've got mine right there everybody gets a core values push this big old huge colorful thing it's on their walls no matter where they are that they work with us um we have a, a, a channel in our slack channel called the thread of awesomeness this the awesomeness channel and we put that in place in 2015 because we're going man there's so many people on our team that are doing amazing things but they don't know the impact that they're actually having on our customers so right. imagine if they knew and, and every single day saw the impact they're having on people how much, how much more connected they would be with our mission, how much more connected they'd be with helping our clients. And so we incentivized our team members and we created process around how do you create amazing stories with customers? What questions do you ask people in live chat rather than just helping them upload their logo and then you finish it, you ask them a question like, how are you loving Carrot so far? Not how are you liking Carrot so far? How are you loving Carrot so far? Uh, or if you see that they're getting a bunch of leads, you proactively reach out to them and say, hey, I see you're getting a bunch of leads. Are these turning into deals? You start the conversation. And so they end up every single day, there's amazing, amazing success stories that are getting put into the, the Awesomeness channel. And after about two years of incentivizing people to do that, we remove the incentives. And it just has stuck in the culture where people are just pumped to go, I want to celebrate our customer. I want to celebrate the success of our customer. I want to celebrate the stories of those customers. And and get them out there and really wrap, like you said, around the brand.
2: So... Along with brand, I know there's an interesting story that uh, I'd love to share with our listeners now, and I'm sure you're probably excited to share it with uh, with our listeners now as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on Carrot Day, April 4th, 2019, uh, you launched a new domain name for uh, for Carrot. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, can you go into the story behind the new domain name and what brought that about and, and just uh, some of the interesting details there? I think they'll come out quickly.
1: Yeah. So about a year, well... Four years ago, we're like, if we're going to do this Carrot thing, it'd be kind of cool to own Carrot.com. And so we look it up and there's an artist who owned Carrot.com from like the beginning of the internet. His name is Michael. And he was an amazing artist and he would never answer emails from me. You know, I'd, I'd make offers that I thought were crazy, like crazy prices. And, and, and he never answered my emails. And probably two years ago, my CTO hits me up and he's like, dude, pull up Carrot.com. And I did, and it was a coming soon page for another tech company. And I go, man, we lost that. You know, it's like, a, we'll stick with OnCarrot, I guess. But over the last two years, it's really amplified as we've grown even more. And we're almost 6,000 active members right now. It's like over the last two years, we really realized how confused a lot of people are on what our brand actually is. Probably half of the market calls us OnCarrot as a company name. Like they'd say, Hi, I love OnCarrot. And the only thing about OnCaret was our domain name. So that's a really, really good lesson for people, for people. A lot of people think about domain names as it relates to SEO, to search engine optimization. But they forget that oftentimes your domain name almost replaces your company name in people's, some people's minds.
2: So, so let me your brand. Let, let me ask you a question. If you had it to do over again, if you knew that you couldn't get carrot.com, it just wasn't going to be affordable and, and it wasn't for many years, would you have chosen a different business name if you had to start over again?
1: Um, I I don't know, man. Because it's it's a really good question. I don't know. I just really like the name Carrot, man. I I I think it works, and uh, I can't think of another better name, you know, for us right now. So I don't know, but it's kind of one of those things. I think things happen for a reason. Uh-huh. And uh, if, if we if we never would have been able to acquire Carrot.com, I think we'd be just fine. But where it re- where it really completely shifted in our minds was was same thing, every every level in business, every year in business, I make a new contract with myself. I go, okay, what is my contract this year? And about a year and a half ago, as we were leading into 2018, we were looking at things going, okay, we're making more money than we ever thought we would at this company. Like we never aspired to build this company and scale it to where it is. Never did. we, just, we Every year we'd set a new contract. Year one is, can we make something that works and people want it? Year two was, can we be the best in the world with this niche? Year three was, how do we make more purpose with this business? Year four became... What does that next level look like? And is it always just in the real estate market? And at that point we go, okay, if we're going to go big with this thing, if we're going to go all in on our brand, let's go all in on the brand. And we've got to own carrot.com. Okay. We've got to do it. And that led into a series of different things. Uh, we lost it. We got it. We lost it. We got it. And then it ends up landing up on, um, we never got it, but it ends, ends, ends up landing on a GoDaddy.com daddy.com auction. It is about eight, eight, 10, 12 months ago. My CTO is like, dude, this is on GoDaddy.com auctions. What's going on? So we hopped over there and we were going to bid it up or, you know, towards that last day. There was like a week left and it was almost at 100 grand with a week left. And we're going, geez, this is going to be expensive. Like, how how bad do we really want this thing? (laughs) How how all in are, are we really on not just the brand carrot? We were all in on brand carrot. The question was, and this is a big lesson, how all in are we on our mission? How all Mm -hmm. in are we on our mission? Because this isn't about making this. We never would have invested what we invested in this domain, guys, if we were just going to stay in the real estate market. We never would have. We could completely continue doing what we're doing with OnCarrot.com. We'd have been just fine. But when we looked at it and went, okay, what was our original intent with this company? It was to help high margin small businesses across America finally get results online. They're all online they all, they all, they all got a simple, free, cheap, easy websites set up, or they had a mom and pop web developer set up. They look pretty, but they're not performing. We think we can solve that better than anyone else. Let's start in the real estate industry. And so that's where, where the calculations became a lot more stronger as we we're going, okay, when I used to think 20 grand for this domain name was a lot, we're going, okay, this is probably gonna be our last chance to ever buy it. And let's see how real we are with this business.
2: So we before we get into, I don't think you've mentioned a number yet, but uh, I oh want to get to the gosh. number. Before, I, before, I, before you mention the number, I want to ask, did you do any type of financial cost-benefit analysis? Did you look at how long, if we own this brand or if we own this domain name, how long it would take to uh, basically generate enough revenue to pay us back the, the extra, um, the, the benefit from the, from the domain name? Or was it never a financial Discussion. It was it was purely. This is this is what we need to do for the company, and there's no reason to do a financial analysis.
1: Yeah, there there was definitely some some emotional in there, and there was some logical, right? So th- there was definitely a little bit of both in there. Uh, we ended up investing 600 grand in a domain name, so we could wow. have either we could have either had an amazing vacation house to live in or something, <laughs> um, or a domain name. You know, we can't even live in the in the domain name. Um, so. We, we ended up working the numbers all different angles because yes, I wanted it. I wanted to, I wanted to quit telling people my email address was Trevor at on carrot. It just bugged the crap because you'd have to like explain it three times explain and over and over. Yep. Yeah, it was hard. So there, there was those little things there. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of benefit, but we wouldn't have got a lot of the benefit if we weren't planning on going bigger. Okay. So one of the benefits of it is, is a general domain can open a lot of doors with introductions. Um, an an introduction or an email from Trevor at carrot.com packs a lot more weight than an an email from Trevor at on carrot, number one. So you can't quantify that, but there's likely going to be something that might pop up in the future. Number two, if there is an acquisition, which we don't have any plans on selling the company anytime soon, if there is an acquisition, that domain name just elevates the brand that much more, you're going to get far more than what we paid in there out of that in value on on an acquisition. Absolutely. Intellectual property. Yep. I, IP in, in a big way. Um, number three, like I said, is, is if we're going to go more broad into other types of businesses, which we will, as we go, we're not doing it anytime the next year, year and a half. Um, there's brand confusion. And since we started carrot, there's been in you know, in 2013, 2014, there's been a bunch of companies pop up that have also been called carrot. There's the carrot weather app that started in 2015. There's the Carrot fertility company. That's like Eighty million dollars in funded that started a couple of years ago. There's a carrot habit tracking app. Um, all those popped up within a year or two of us starting, and we're going okay. If we're going to really go big with this thing, and I'm just making this up, let's say someday we do TV commercials, right? Um, I want to be the carrot company. Like totally, I don't want to be yes. one of the carrot companies. The one with the terrible domain name. I want to be like the carrot company.
0: You are carrot.
1: And I'll give you one last little final um, final thing. Is I always think in worst case scenarios when I'm making big decisions, I go, what's like worst case scenario. I'll go, going back to that first year out of college. Same thing. Worst case scenario. If I can't figure this entrepreneurship thing out this year, what happens? Nope. I go get a job, I guess. And maybe move in with my parents. I don't know. It's not that bad. then I'll go get a job or something. Um, so worst case scenario with this was okay, let's think this carrot thing doesn't work. Um, that'd be bummer. That, That would suck, but we've got cash. We're fine. Worst case, scenario, there's, there's these other carrot companies that would probably love this domain name. And maybe we'll be able to sell it for exactly what we got out of it, maybe more. Let's say worst case, 300 grand. Let's say we sell it for 300 grand. Okay, we got to use it for a few years. Um, we took a hit. It was kind of a cool experience. But if, if a couple hundred grand actually kills me over a several decade period, I think I did something wrong. So uh, that was kind of my, my, my analysis there.
0: That's great and that's such I think a great reminder to the listeners too. Something you touched on is this takes you back to way back when right out of college just remember what is the worst possible thing that could happen, right? Yep. At the end of the day, it's not a matter of life and death. Your yep. kids didn't go off the cliff into a ravine. Everyone's happy and everyone's alive. In worst case scenario, we lose a little bit of cash and we move on. So do that worst case scenario exercise and it'll all work itself out.
1: Yep, and, and, and Like I said, like so many, so many people forget to, to equate in there your like to me the worst case scenario of, of not taking the leap is usually way worse than the worst case scenario of taking it you know so the worst case scenario of me um not taking that that year out of college is i end up getting a job that i get locked into then we end up having a family and i feel like i can't leave it because there's less flexibility now because it's a, a steady paycheck i'm 10 15 years in i i hate my life And then I feel like it's too late to make a switch and then blah. Then I I lost decades of my life. That to me was way worse than like, oh, well, I tried it and it didn't work. And same thing with the domain. I'm like, worst case scenario, if I didn't do it is let's say we grow this thing big and then there's this conflict with brand and all these things. I'm like, let's just do it. It, Now let's just
0: make it
2: happen. It's so cliche, but uh, the, the saying you regret the things you didn't do versus the things you did do. Yep. So so one more question, Trevor. What is your biggest challenge in your business these days?
1: Man, the biggest challenge today, um, it's it's people, right? And it's, it's, it's not the quality of the people. It's mainly how do I, as a leader, lead people at the next level? Um, you know, we're 25 people right now. And w- once you cross over the 18 to 20 person mark, you've got to have leaders, right? And no longer can, can I be a lazy leader because now... I am leading the leaders and then those leaders are going out there and leading their teams. And so I'm having to really nail my personal habits more than I've ever, like all those little things that were okay for me to have bad habits, waking up late, not being disciplined with my schedule, not planning ahead and being clear on priorities. Those things can't happen anymore. They just can't. So. That's where I'm the most pumped about, but it's also hard because I'm having to work against uh, some bad habits I've created over the years.
2: That's awesome. And I love the fact that you don't use the term manager. You don't use the term boss. You don't use the word team. You use the word leader. And and that's uh, that goes a lot to what kind of culture you're trying to build there. And I bet you your your, your employees appreciate that.
1: Thank you.
0: Awesome. Trevor, now we're going to go to the part of the show that we call four more. So we're going to start with four questions that we ask all of our guests. And then the more is going to be, we're going to have you tell us where we can find out more about you. Okay. So Jay, take the first question. Okay.
2: So Trevor, we know what your first job was. You told us that, but what was your worst job and what lessons came from that job?
1: It's, It's so funny, man. Like I've never had a real job other than, you know, doing that stuff with my parents because after college I just started taking on some things I, I, I think the worst ones hmm, that's such a good question man so the very very first core value on the carrot core value that I love the most it's not at the top but it's the one I love the most is be a beacon of positivity and possibility and that question right there like I think I'm so clouded to negativity I can't even I literally can't even think about what my worst was um, okay which is weird that's a good question though
2: good enough. So
0: (laughs) that's fine. That's fine. I'm going to ask you a different one. Okay. What's a, what's a big opportunity somewhere along the way that you said no to, and do you think it was the right decision to have said no?
1: Yeah. There was one really early on, uh, when I was in, I was about a year and a half out of college and I was starting to learn some of this marketing stuff. There's a company called Agora Publishing and Agora Publishing is a huge company, right? And they had a division, and they still have a division called early to rise. And it was kind of the healthy, wealthy, wise division of the company. And um, I had worked my way into getting to know the people who led that. And I was one of the finalists to lead the company, I was completely underqualified, I should not have done it. Uh, Therefore, and that's the reason I didn't get hired. But I actually that was an amazing opportunity to get mentored by some of the smartest marketers in the world. And I let my own insecurities get in the way from me actually stepping forward and showing my best self. So That would have been an amazing opportunity, uh, but at the same time, things happen for a reason. Um, So that would have been cool. Working with um, Mark Ford, Michael Masterson, uh, all those guys would have been amazing.
0: Sure.
2: Great. So question number three, there's a lot of bad advice out there, both in your industry and in business in general. What's the worst advice you've ever been given and how would you improve on that? How would you improve on that advice uh, if you were to give it to somebody else?
1: Yeah, the the worst advice kind of kind of goes back to what we had talked about a little bit sooner. And the thing is, it's such well intentioned advice, and maybe maybe it's unique to different people too, right? Where the the advice I was just hammering, 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 people were hammering into me were were the two things: follow your passion, i.e., build a business around your passion. I so wish, like you said, I've got the baseball clock back there. I grew up playing baseball. My dad yep. played professional baseball. I was not I was not destined for that, but I was banging my head against the wall for years, going, man. Why, there must be something wrong with me. Why can I not figure out how to create a business that's my passion? Like, why can I not figure that out? And so once I made that mindset shift that the business does not have to be your passion, it should fuel your passion. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what this is about. Like, I don't have to build a business around mountain biking. I don't have to build a business around these these other things, golf or whatever. I just need to build a business that lights me up, that does does good, and that fuels the passion, fuels the things I'm, I'm good at. And then the last part of it is the business has to be interesting, right? It's got to be interesting to you. It doesn't have to be your passion. It's got to be interesting to you. The software world is crazy interesting to me.
0: Excellent. Okay, so our fourth question is, now, we know that you splurged on carrot.com $600,000, and I think you're agreeing that as of right now, it's absolutely totally worth it. Yeah. So other than that example right there, what's something else that you have splurged on either in your at home life or mm-hmm. your professional life or however, wherever it fits into your life, a splurge that you've made that was totally worth it?
1: Yep, Uh, two things really quick. So one of them, 2010, I wrote my very first ever life list. It's still back there. I have to retrace it over with pen every couple of years. And on there was, I was visualizing where I wanted to live. And I I would visualize myself waking up in a house with a big window in our bedroom, overlooking a body of water that inspired me and like a bunch of properties. So we bought three acres in the North Umpqua River here in Southern Oregon two and a half years ago. And uh, that was a splurge, but... Um, we're going to be there for a long, 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 long time. So that's something I'm I'm proud of, you know, same thing, the window, like literally the window overlooks this amazing stretch of the river. So that was a splurge we're renovating right now. And it's turning out to be more of a splurge than we expected as renovations happen. But the second, the second one is masterminds, uh, as, as I was needing to uplevel myself and my team this past two years, I started joining the right masterminds. So I'm in Russell Brunson's mastermind. I've been a part of it for a couple of years and I'm in another high level mastermind with, with my software coach. And those are not cheap between just the two of those we're eighty, dollars $90,000 deep, uh, just in masterminds for, for, for a year, but it's some of the best investment you can possibly make.
0: Excellent.
2: Awesome. Okay. So that was the four. Let's jump into the more. So for people that want to find out more about you want to find out more about carrot.com, how they can get in touch with you potentially, where can they do that?
1: Yeah. Carrot.com is probably the the first spot. I don't really put much out on my own personal blog yet. I'm going to be kind of documenting our journey a lot more over there on trevormock.com, M-A-U-C-H. But honestly, probably the best spot is the podcast, is the Carrot Cast, because that's my outlet. I document behind the scenes of what I'm doing to grow this company. It's probably 30% real estate lead generation related, 70% entrepreneur mindset stuff, 70%. What am I going through as a business owner and how do you do the same thing? So the Carrot Cast, carrotcast.com.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much for being with us today. We learned so much. I can't wait to do my own personal energy audit. I think do it's it. going to reveal. I'm totally <laughs> going to. I'm I'm excited that we're attaching it to this show, and I think everyone's yep. going to find it really useful, and I can't wait to, wait to see where it takes me. So thanks again for all the great information you shared. It was an awesome time talking with you.
1: Thank you, guys. No, I, I had a blast, and if there's anything at all that I can do for you guys or your listeners or promoting the heck out of this podcast... Uh, let me know. I love what you guys are doing and we'd love to support it. We appreciate that. Thanks so much, Trevor.
0: Oh my goodness. I so love talking with him. I truly can't wait to do the energy audit. I think that is such a valuable piece of information. And I know that I do stuff I, I that I just get sucked into every day that I don't necessarily love. And I really can't wait to be able to find a, a concrete way to shift that, to really do the stuff that truly fuels my energy.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm I'm always concerned that you don't have enough energy and you're not high <laughs> energy and so yeah, maybe maybe uh maybe pick that energy up a little bit, Carol Scott, cuz uh, I'm
0: going to work on it. I promise. All right, take us out of here, honey.
2: Thank you everybody for listening to today's episode of the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. We're Carol and Jay.
0: Now, go do something that fuels your energy today. See you later. Bye.